This is Nehemiah, chapter 2, verses 11 through 18. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, at its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet, I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they, so they began this good work. The word of the Lord. Yeah, thanks be to God. All right, so if you've been here, you know this. If not, uh, I'll try to catch you up just in one sentence. Nehemiah, what we see him doing right now and see this group of people doing is coming after he has just taken this enormous risk, Okay. And uh, that was what last week was about, was about taking risks and risks in our lives. But after four months of fasting and prayer and allowing the Lord to develop a conviction in his heart about the state of Jerusalem and what he was going to do about it, he says right there, what God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem, right? He's taken this huge risk and he has asked Artaxerxes, which I'm calling Art now for short, he has asked Art for permission, will you send me to go rebuild Jerusalem, the city of my ancestors that is an utter destroyed situation? And will you give me everything I need to do it as far as money, uh, all the means, protection, everything? And Art says yes. He takes this huge risk. This is a Shark Tank moment, right? Mr. Wonderful decides to write the fat check and he walks out of the Shark Tank effectively with everything that he needs to go build his company but now he's got to go do it, right? And what Janie just read for us is Nehemiah's first initial outward kind of public steps, besides the step with Artaxerxes. First initial steps into living into this conviction, what God had put in his heart to do. And he starts with this nighttime visit. It's a nighttime visit because it's a dangerous thing. The city is torn down. It was torn down for a reason. So he goes at night, stealth mode, Right? Nighttime visit to Jerusalem with a handful of other people. And that visit, that wouldn't have been like us popping down to Cool Springs or Columbia, right? This was a four-month journey that he would have taken, like 10 miles a day by foot with a huge military escort all through these inhospitable territories, people who were going to create resistance to what was going on. It was a huge, huge endeavor just to simply start moving in that direction, so much so that when they got there, he says, I literally rested for three days. We had to sit there for three days before we went out at night and did this examination. But that's what they do. They start this examination process. 
Likely, Nehemiah has never been to Jerusalem before. So this is the moment where things are moving out of him hearing about the bad news um, to actually seeing it. And so we're going to actually lean into the practical wisdom that we see our brother uh, Nehemiah doing in this rebuild as we are in a rebuilding season as well. So we're going to practice some of that today. That's part of why there are paper and pencil on your chairs if you need that. If you've got a notebook, that's fine as well. We're going to follow his lead because we see him following the Lord's lead, and, and we desperately need to follow the Lord's lead. So two things we're going to do this morning. I'm not just going to talk about them. We're going to do them. Uh, examination and then action, okay? He was committed. I'm going to use, you're going to hear me use that word, Committed committed to examination, and then he was committed to action, okay? So the first thing is this. We'll, we'll, I'll talk about this for a second, then we're going to practice it for a second, all right? Or more than a second, a couple minutes. Committed to examination. Nehemiah understood something just from what he had heard, not even seeing it, that the scope of the work of rebuilding Jerusalem was way too great for him to accomplish on his own even just with the resources that Art had given him, he was going to need help from people, right? And yet, instead of simply, uh, and I don't know about you, us talkers struggle with this, he says there, I had not told anyone what God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. Think about that, traveling for four months with a group of people and going like, I'll tell you when we get there or maybe after we get there, right? Instead of spilling the beans about what was in his heart to do with whoever would listen to him, instead of doing that, he himself went and he brought others, he brought these people to go see for themselves the scope of the destruction before ever sharing the scope of his vision. He said, I want you to see it for yourself, the scope of what's going on, the scope of the destruction before I'm ever going to share with you the scope of the vision. These are the people who are going to be doing the work. That's what he says to them. These are the people who would be doing the work in verse 16 there, right? But he didn't share, he didn't tell them what he was thinking prior, and why is that important? Why is that wisdom here, right? Because if Nehemiah is following the Lord, why is that wise? Well, the first thing I would say is this, and you've, you, we've, you've heard the phrase, we've used the phrase, talk is cheap, Right? Talk is cheap, and it is true, uh, too much talk can be cheap, and what they're about to do, even though they have everything, the backing and everything, what they're about to do is going to cost them. It's going to be costly, right? And to just talk about it, to just kind of keep talking about it, I don't know if you've ever struggled with that before, to just talk and talk and more talk and more talk without actually taking action. Oftentimes, it's really easy when you just talk about things because you're just really imagining the possibilities. It's, it's kind of like, um, you know, my love of the film Inception, right? In that dream world, you can build all sorts of things in that dream world because you can bend the fabric of reality in that dream world. But in the real world, it's really actually hard to build that, right? And he understands that, that if I, um, there was a quote Another guy, uh, Paulo Coelho, not many people would quote him in, in, a, in a church service. Uh, he's a, a Brazilian mystic uh, who talks about the idea that if you spend too much time talking about your dreams, you actually use the energy that you're going to need to do it, just talking about it, 
So I think Nehemiah understands that, hey, talk is cheap, and we got to conserve our energy, because what we're going to do is going to cost us, right? But I also think this, that nothing invites real commitment. Nothing invites that, like, personal examination and motivates, like, a hard look at reality. And that's what they got when they went to Jerusalem. They got a hard look at reality. I was on the phone earlier this week with a guy who is a colonel. He was a colonel. He's a retired colonel, a special forces guy, um, who was um, present at the Pentagon. He was driving to the Pentagon on 9-11 for a meeting when 9-11 happened. I know many of us probably watched 20 years of remembrance uh, this week, some form of that. And maybe you remember physically where you were at when 9-11 happened. I remember where I was at. He shared with me where he was at. It was amazing because I know that day was impactful for everyone in our country, but it was amazing to listen to him talk and realize because of where he was at and because of who he was and because he was on the ground physically in that place on the way there when that happened, his, the effect that that has on him, the way that he thinks about that, the, the commitment that he has was radically different than mine, right? Because he saw it for himself. He was there. It occurred right in his midst. I think Nehemiah understands this. Nehemiah understands and he believes that if the people who are going to go do this work, something is going to have to shift in them before they start this rebuild. And it's a shift that he's allowed to work in him already, right? Through those four months of prayer and fasting, right? And it was a shift from this. The shift is, is hey, that's your trouble and that's your situation to now this is our trouble and this is our situation. A shift from, hey, you guys are in trouble, Jerusalem, and we're here to help, right? To we are in trouble and we will have to work together for this to be a different situation. Remember in in chapter 1, he says this, when Hananiah and the other brothers come and tell him, those who survived the exile are back in the province in their great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Right? Those who are there. It's it's the they, right? What did he just say in 2.17? Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. It went from a they or a them, that's their problem, that's their situation, to us, to a we. And how was committed examination? I'm going to bring you to take a hard look at reality. And again, for Nehemiah, that process started months ago, and that's what the process we're going to do here this morning, right now. He allowed his own heart to be examined by the Lord while he was in that comfortable place in Susa. When he first heard the trouble, right, from his brothers, that's when the rebuild began in him. The rebuild began in him before it ever began through him, right? With the examination, remember he confesses sin in chapter 1, with the examination of, of, his, of the walls and gates of his own life. What's the state of me? Because remember, why Jerusalem was in that condition, why the temple was torn down, why the city was laid waste to, 
was because of their broken down walls and states of their own lives. Israel was in a state of rebellion and idolatry. That's what led to the exile in the first place. So Nehemiah understands this and he's bringing them to this place at the foot of Jerusalem and saying, examine. Examine this, but allow this to examine you. Allow the Lord to convict and lead you, not just to be informed about a situation that's hard, right? They're in trouble, they're in disgrace, but actually be implicated in that situation. We are in trouble, we are in disgrace. What are we going to do about it? So we're going to practice right now. Here we go. Because many people don't practice having an examined life. And I'll tell you why I don't like to do it, right? Or why I don't do it. One, my life is moving so fast, I don't slow down to examine my life. Many of us are so busy, we're moving so fast, that the process of stopping and letting the Lord examine my heart, right, is not something I'm used to doing. So one, I'm moving too fast. Two, it's hard because I actually, if I let the Lord examine my heart, I might actually have to change some things about my life right? There might be sacrifices that I have to make, and I don't want to do that. We're going to spend some time right now, and I want you to ask the Lord to examine you, right? Like Psalm 139 says, search me and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Examine me. Show me places in my life where maybe I am apathetic or indifferent or where I'm self-centered, where I'm so busy building the city of me. One of the shocking things about this was, we'll get to this in chapter 7, it says that nobody started working on their houses until the temple and the wall was rebuilt. The worship of the Lord was central, was primary before we built our homes. That's a tough one, right? I just redid my kitchen. (laughs) It stings. Show me, Lord where my real commitments are, and if they need to be reordered. And would you also open my eyes to the needs around me, right? Ask the Lord this question, what do you see? Because he says, you see we're in trouble and disgrace. What do you see that is broken down and needs rebuilt? Maybe it's first and foremost in you, and maybe then in here, in our community, right? So the worship team is going to lead us in some, some song, as well as create some space for us to spend some time. And I would encourage you, write those things down. Use those pieces of paper if you need them. Uh, And then after that, we'll come back together and talk about action, okay? Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and 
lead me in the way everlasting. there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Grant us peace. 
is committed to examination first. They saw, they felt uh, the state of things, and then immediately you see Nehemiah committed to action. And I think I read this maybe a week or two ago, and I didn't, I'm not sure I really said anything, but this is a quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, the more often someone feels without acting, the less they will ever be able to act, and in the long run, the less they will ever be able to feel. I think Nehemiah gets that, that, hey, we're, we're seeing reality now. We've examined the situation. We've been examined by the situation, and we need to act. And so what does he say to them? He says, let us start rebuilding. So they began the good work, or this good work. The first step in the rebuild of the city was the commitment 
to one another, us, let us start, and a commitment to rebuilding. I know that may sound super obvious, but I really want to like drive this home, that it started with a commitment. It started with a commitment to act, a decision to act, a commitment to one another, not just a place, it was a place, but a commitment to one another, a people, and to do this together. And they were convinced through that examination process, Nehemiah was convinced through that examination process, that that was worth doing, right? And we have to stop and ask the question, because some of us aren't maybe familiar with not only the importance of Jerusalem, but even in this day and age, uh, you know, we talk about this all the time at Midtown. We are the church. You don't go to church. that We obviously don't meet in a church building. We're meeting in a cafetorium right now, right? What was so important about this city? Like, why didn't they just say, like, well, you know, we lost that one, but, like, let's move down the road and we'll rebuild something over here, right? Well, Jerusalem at this time, it, it was the city of God's people. It was, remember when Nashville had the designation as the it city, right? It was the it city of God's people, and there was no other it city. It was the place where the temple and the worship of the one true God was to take place, commanded by God to take place. And that was to be a light unto the nations, a billboard. Literally, the city and the people within the city and the worship of the city was to be a billboard of God's grace and goodness to the world around, right? It was a city on a hill, a beacon, literally proclaiming the goodness of God. And so with that city in ruins, the worship of God and the witness of God's people was utterly compromised, right? It wasn't just that they were in disgrace and trouble. God's name was in disgrace and trouble. Not just his people. So yes, this wasn't good for Israel because they were, and you and I are, created to worship the Lord, right? To commune with the Lord. So that wasn't possible without this city being rebuilt and with the temple being rebuilt. It wasn't good for them, but it also wasn't good for the world because God had called them literally to bear witness to the world around them. They didn't understand this at the time as Jews, that they were going to be the light for Gentiles to come to even faith, right? That was the promise made to Abraham. But that's our call too. That, did, that didn't just stay in the Old Testament. That's for you and for me now. Listen to this. This is 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You hear that? That's us. We're that city on a hill. We're the ones who've been saved to declare the praises of him, right? Chosen, holy, dearly loved. So for us, as the church, we are the church, right? The church is not just Jerusalem and the city and the temple anymore. 1 Corinthians 6 says that you are the temples of the living God where the Holy Spirit dwells, right? So we're not just a physical place, but we are a gathered people to be a physical representation of a spiritual reality, you may not know that, but that's true about us as the church. You belong to something bigger than yourself. You are a part of a body, right? 
We are a gathered people. We're doing that right now in corporate worship to be a physical representation of a spiritual reality that we belong to him and to one another for the good of the world and for his glory. Listen to this. This is right before that passage I read in 1 Peter 2.9 about being a chosen people, a royal priesthood, right? He says, as you come to him, as you come to Jesus, the living stone rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. You hear that? You're being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ as you come to him. So right now, what we're doing in corporate worship, that's what we're doing right now. We're gathered to worship the Lord. What we're doing when we do this on a weekly basis is we're coming to him, right? And when we come to him, this is critical Nehemiah understood this about Jerusalem. To come to him in this form on a regular basis to be built into what he is building us into. Right? That's what we do when we come here. Nehemiah got that. Nehemiah knew this. If there is no city, there is no temple. If there is no temple, there is no worship. If there is no worship, we will worship something else. That's Israel's history. That's our history, right? We will be committed to something else. And so corporate worship, I'm celebrating y'all being here this morning because you don't understand how vital this is to your life in Christ. It's where our hearts are collectively formed and rebuilt and then sent out, right? It's where we learn and are strengthened to live a life of worship. You hear us say that all the time. All of life is worship. This is where we train to go out and live the rest of our lives as lives of worship. But this, even this on Sunday mornings, it cannot be rebuilt and thrive without a collective come let us rebuild. Right? I can't build it. They can't build it. We all build it. Right? This is what we build and what we make of it. which is hard, right? That's why it's costly. That's why talk is cheap, right? One of the things that struck me, and I need to finish so we can keep practicing together, was that Nehemiah, he asked tired and disgraced people who were in trouble to take up the enterprise of rebuilding their city. Oof, right? He says, I need you. I know you're tired. I know you're disgraced, but this is so important. You're not alone. We're together. I need you to commit to action. I need you to commit to rebuilding. And God's going to do something. He's going to do something in you. He's going to rebuild you through your participation in this. I don't know how many of you have been on a mission trip and you've gone to actually go do something for somewhere else. I've signed up to go do this thing. And what is the the common thread that runs when people come back, what do they say? Man, I know we want to be a blessing to these people, but man, God changed my life through this, right? That's a principle in Scripture, right? That God literally, through our participation, it's not just we do something for other people. He does something for us through that. Nehemiah gets that. But he also understands this. When he called them to commit to action, he was convinced of something. And he was inviting them to believe it themselves. And it was this. 
Finally, after they see everything, he says, come let us rebuild. And I also told them about the gracious hand of God that was upon me and what the king had said to me. He was convinced of this. God's hand's on us. God's hand is on us. The king has granted my request, and that's, that's proof of it, right? And so I'm going to ask you, tired and disgraced Israelites, to take a risk. Let's rebuild this wall. There's going to be opposition. There's going to be resistance. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be costly. It will take time. But God is with us. He has given us what we need, and he is on the move for us. So we have in him the resources that we need to do this. He's on the move for us. Let's be on the move with him, right? And I'm going to ask you, as you go back into prayer right now, as we practice a little more, do you believe that? Do you believe that in this room this morning, that God's gracious hand is upon us? It's upon you. I believe that. That he has given us the resources we need, exactly what we need, to rebuild or build whatever he's calling us to build as a community here. So I want to practice. I want you to spend some time in prayer about, Lord, where are you committed? You calling me to be committed to act, right? What is your part? And we'll talk about this in later sermons. What's your particular part of this wall, right? Here in our church and out there as the church. Both things. How are you called to help build this? And how are you called to live as the church out there, right? What are you called to build out there? Everybody can't build everywhere, so don't get overwhelmed. That's so easy to do and get paralyzed and feel like, oh gosh, there's so many needs. Of course. Ask God for some specificity, right? Where do you want me to build? Maybe that's prayer. I know it sounds like, like, of course, prayer. You said that one, right? Seriously, would you pray for this community? That's one of the gates, right? Would you pray for our church? Would you commit to doing that? Kidtown is fully staffed today. Praise God, right? That's because someone decided that the gate of Kidtown, I'm going to put my hand to that gate, and I'm going to help build that gate. Right there. It grieves me more people can't hear you guys lead people in worship because it's so beautiful. They are giving their time for us, and they're putting their hand to the worship gate, right? Maybe that's the gate. Maybe it's the setup gate. There are people who come here on Friday nights and set all this up. It's a ball, right? Maybe you can be a part of the setup gate. I don't know. The small group gate. Many small groups will start this week because people are leading those small groups and choosing to lead those small groups and participating in them. Participating in them is building, right? You're letting yourself be built. There are other gates we, don't, we haven't even begun to explore, like the service to this community gate, right? Or men's and women's needs and ministry gate. There's so much building to be done. Lord, where are you calling me to build and calling me to action? Let's pray. Lord, receive the, uh, the words that we're about to sing as a prayer to you, a plea and also um, praise in humility and gratitude. Creator, giver of all things, oh. 
my humble offering All I have is yours When I was chained to greed and pride I'd fisted destined just to die You paid my debt and bought my life All I have is yours All I have Oh 